Question 71 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae. Treaties on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae. Treaties on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Justice by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 71 of Injustice in Judgment on the Part of Counsel in Four Articles. We must now consider the injustice which takes place in judgment on the part of counsel, and under this head there are four points of inquiry. First, whether an advocate is bound to defend the suits of the poor. Second, whether certain persons should be prohibited from exercising the office of advocate. Third, whether an advocate sins by defending an unjust cause. Fourth, whether he sins if he accept a fee for defending a suit. First article whether an advocate is bound to defend the suits of the poor. Objection 1. It would seem that an advocate is bound to defend the suits of the poor. For it is written in Exodus 23.5, If thou see the donkey of him that hateth thee underneath his burden, thou shalt not pass by, but shall lift him up with him. Now no less a danger threatens the poor man whose suit is being unjustly prejudiced than if his donkey were to lie underneath its burden. Therefore, an advocate is bound to defend the suits of the poor. Objection to further, Gregory says in homily, his ninth homily on the gospel, Let him that hath understanding beware lest he withhold his knowledge. Let him that hath abundance of wealth watch lest he slacken his merciful bounty. Let him who is a servant to art share his skill with his neighbor. Let him who has an opportunity of speaking with the wealthy plead the cause of the poor. For the slightest gift you have received will be reputed a talent. Now every man is bound not to hide but faithfully to dispense the talent committed to him as evidenced by the punishment inflicted on the servant who hid his talent matthew twenty five thirty therefore an advocate is bound to plead for the poor objection three further the precept about performing works of mercy being affirmative is binding according to time and place and this is chiefly in cases of need. Now it seems to be a case of need when the suit of a poor man is being prejudiced. Therefore, it seems that in such a case an advocate is bound to defend the poor man's suit. On the contrary, he that lacks food is no less in need than he that lacks an advocate. Yet he that is able to give food is not always bound to feed the needy. Therefore, neither is an advocate always bound to defend the suits of the poor. 
I answer that, since defense of the poor man's suit belongs to the works of mercy, the answer to this inquiry is the same as the one given above with regard to the other works of mercy. Question 32, Articles 5 and 9. Now, no man is sufficient to bestow a work of mercy on all those who need it. Wherefore, as Augustine says, in On Christian Doctrine 128, since one cannot do good to all, we ought to consider those chiefly who by reason of place, time, or any other circumstance, by a kind of chance are more closely united to us. He says, by reason of place, because one is not bound to search throughout the world for the needy that one may succor them. And it suffices to do works of mercy to those one meets with. Hence it is written, in Exodus 23.4, If thou meet thy enemy's donkey going astray, bring it back to him. He says also, by reason of time, because one is not bound to provide for the future needs of others, and it suffices to succor present needs. Hence it is written in 1 John 3.17, He that shall see his brother in need, and shall put up his bowels from him, how doth the charity of God abide in him? Lastly, he says, or any other circumstance, because one ought to show kindness to those especially who are, by any tie whatever united to us, according to 1 Timothy 5.8. If any man have not care of his own, and especially of those of his house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It may happen, however, that these circumstances concur, and then we have to consider whether this particular man stands in such a need that it is not easy to see how he can be succored otherwise, and then one is bound to bestow the work of mercy on him. If, however, it is easy to see how he can be otherwise succored, either by himself or by some other person still more closely united to him, or in a better position to help him, one is not bound so strictly to help the one in need that it would be a sin not to do so, although it would be praiseworthy to do so where one is not bound to. Therefore, an advocate is not always bound to defend the suits of the poor, but only when the aforesaid circumstances concur, else he would have to put aside all other business and occupy himself entirely in defending the suits of poor people. The same applies to a physician with regard to attendance on the sick. Reply to Objection 1. So long as the donkey lies under the burden, there is no means of help in this case, unless those who are passing along come to the man's aid, and therefore they are bound to help but they would not be so bound if help were possible from another quarter. Reply to Objection 2. A man is bound to make good use of the talent bestowed on him according to the opportunities afforded by time, place, and other circumstances, as stated above. Reply to Objection 3. Not every need is such that it is one's duty to remedy it, but only such as we have stated above. Second article. 
whether it is fitting that the law should debar certain persons from the office of advocate objection one it would seem unfitting for the law to debar certain persons from the office of advocate for no man should be debarred from doing works of mercy now it belongs to the work of mercy to defend a man's suit as stated above in article one therefore no man should be debarred from this office objection to further contrary causes have not seemingly the same effect now to be busy with divine things and to be busy about sin are contrary to one another therefore it is unfitting that some should be debarred from this office of advocate on account of religion as monks and clerics while others are debarred on account of sin as persons of ill repute and heretics objection three further a man should love his neighbor as himself now it is a duty of love for an advocate to plead a person's cause therefore it is unfitting that certain persons should be debarred from pleading the cause of others while they are allowed to advocate their own cause on the contrary according to the canon infames of the decretals many persons are debarred from the office of advocate i answer that in two ways a person is debarred from performing a certain act first because it is impossible to him secondly because it is unbecoming to him but whereas the man to whom a certain act is impossible is absolutely debarred from performing it he to whom an act is unbecoming is not debarred altogether since necessity may do away with its unbecomingness accordingly some are debarred from the office of advocate because it is impossible to them through lack of sense either interior as in the case of madmen and minors or exterior as in the case of the deaf and dumb for an advocate needs to have both interior skill so that he may be able to prove the justice of the cause he defends and also speech and hearing that he may speak and hear what is said to him consequently those who are defective in these points are altogether debarred from being advocates either in their own or in another's cause the becomingness of exercising this office is removed in two ways first through a man being engaged in higher things wherefore it is unfitting that monks or priests should be advocates in any cause whatever or that clerics should plead in a secular court because such persons are engaged in divine things secondly on account of some personal defect either of body for instance a blind man whose attendance in a court of justice would be unbecoming or of soul for it ill becomes one who has disdained to be just himself to plead for justice of another wherefore it is unbecoming that persons of ill repute unbelievers and those who have been convicted of grievous crimes should be advocates nevertheless this unbecomingness is outweighed by necessity and for this reason such persons can plead either their own cause or that of persons closely connected with them 
Moreover, clerics can be advocates in the cause of their own church, and monks in the cause of their own monastery, if the abbot direct them to do so. Reply to Objection 1. Certain persons are sometimes debarred by unbecomingness, and others by inability from performing works of mercy, for not all the works of mercy are becoming to all persons. Thus it ill becomes a fool to give counsel, or the ignorant to teach. Reply to Objection 2. Just as virtue is destroyed by too much and too little, so does a person become incompetent by more and less. For this reason, some, like religious and clerics, are debarred from pleading in causes because they are above such and such an office, and others because they are less than competent to exercise it, such as persons of ill repute and unbelievers. Reply to Objection 3. The necessity of pleading the causes of others is not so pressing as the necessity of pleading one's own cause, because others are able to help themselves otherwise. Hence the comparison fails. Third article. Whether an advocate sins by defending an unjust cause. Objection 1. It would seem that an advocate does not sin by defending an unjust cause. For just as a physician proves his skill by healing a desperate disease, so does an advocate prove his skill if he can defend an unjust cause. Now a physician is praised if he heals a desperate malady. Therefore, an advocate also commits no sin but ought to be praised if he defends an unjust cause. Objection to further. It is always lawful to desist from committing a sin. Yet an advocate is punished if he throws up his brief. Therefore, an advocate does not sin by defending an unjust cause when once he has undertaken its defense. Objection 3. Further, it would seem to be a greater sin for an advocate to use unjust means in defense of a just cause, for example, by producing false witnesses or alleging false laws, than to defend an unjust cause, since the former is a sin against the form, the latter against the matter of justice. Yet it is seemingly lawful for an advocate to make use of such underhand means even as it is lawful for a soldier to lay ambushes in a battle. Therefore, it would seem that an advocate does not sin by defending an unjust cause. On the contrary, it is said, Thou helpest the ungodly, and therefore thou didst deserve the wrath of the Lord. Now an advocate, by defending an unjust cause, helps the ungodly. Therefore he sins, and deserves the wrath of the Lord. I answer that, it is unlawful to cooperate in an evil deed, by counseling, helping, or in any way consenting, because to counsel or assist an action is, in a way, to do it. And the Apostle says in Romans one thirty two that, 
they are worthy of death, not only they that do a sin, but they also that consent to them that do it. Hence it was stated above, in question 62, article 7, that all such are bound to restitution. Now it is evident that an advocate provides both assistance and counsel to the party for whom he pleads. Wherefore, if knowingly he defends an unjust cause, without doubt he sins grievously, and is bound to restitution of the loss unjustly incurred by the other party by reason of the assistance he has provided. If, however, he defends an unjust cause unknowingly, thinking it just, he is to be excused according to the measure in which ignorance is excusable. Reply to Objection 1. The physician injures no man by undertaking to heal a desperate malady, whereas the advocate who accepts service in an unjust cause unjustly injures the party against whom he pleads unjustly. Hence the comparison fails. For though he may seem to deserve praise for showing skill in his art, nevertheless he sins by reason of injustice in his will, since he abuses his art for an evil end. Reply to Objection 2. If an advocate believes from the outset that the cause is just, and discovers afterwards while the case is proceeding that it is unjust, he ought not to throw up his brief in such a way as to help the other side, or so as to reveal the secrets of his client to the other party. But he can and must give up the case, or induce his client to give way, or make some compromise without prejudice to the opposing party. Reply to Objection 3. As stated above in Question 40, Article 3, it is lawful for a soldier, or a general, to lay ambushes in a just war by prudently concealing what he has a mind to do, but not by means of fraudulent falsehoods, since we should keep faith even with a foe, as Tully says. Hence, it is lawful for an advocate, in defending his case, prudently to conceal whatever might hinder its happy issue, but it is unlawful for him to employ any kind of falsehood. Fourth Article Whether it is lawful for an advocate to take a fee for pleading. Objection 1. It would seem unlawful for an advocate to take a fee for pleading. Works of mercy should not be done with a view to human remuneration, according to Luke 14.12. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy neighbors who are rich, lest perhaps they also invite thee again, and a recompense be made to thee. Now, it is a work of mercy to plead another's cause as stated above in Article 1. Therefore, it is not lawful for an advocate to take payment in money for pleading. Objection to further. Spiritual things are not to be bartered with temporal things. But pleading a person's cause seems to be a spiritual good, since it consists in using one's knowledge of law. Therefore, it is not lawful for an advocate to take a fee for pleading. Objection 3. Further, 
just as the person of the advocate concurs towards the pronouncement of the verdict, so do the persons of the judge and of the witnesses. Now, according to Augustine, in his letter 153 to the Macedonian, the judge should not sell a just sentence, nor the witness true evidence. Therefore, neither can an advocate sell a just pleading. On the contrary, Augustine says in the same letter, 153 to the Macedonian, that an advocate may lawfully sell his pleading, and a lawyer his advice. I answer that, a man may justly receive payment for granting what he is not bound to grant. Now it is evident that an advocate is not always bound to consent to plead, or to give advice in other people's causes. Wherefore, if he sell his pleading or advice, he does not act against justice. The same applies to the physician who attends on a sick person to heal him, and to all like persons. Provided, however, they take a moderate fee, with due consideration for persons, for the matter in hand, for the labor entailed, and for the custom of the country. If, however, they wickedly extort an immoderate fee, they sin against justice. Hence Augustine says, in his letter 153 to the Macedonian, that it is customary to demand from them restitution of what they have extorted by a wicked excess, but not what has been given to them in accordance with a commendable custom. Reply to Objection 1. Man is not bound to do gratuitously whatever he can do from motives of mercy, else no man could lawfully sell anything, since anything may be given from motives of mercy. But when a man does give a thing out of mercy, he should seek not a human but a divine reward. In like manner, an advocate, when he mercifully pleads the cause of a poor man, should have in view not a human but a divine meed. In like manner, an advocate, when he mercifully pleads the cause of a poor man, should have in view not a human but a divine meed and yet he is not always bound to give his services gratuitously. Reply to Objection 2. Though knowledge of law is something spiritual, the use of that knowledge is accomplished by the work of the body. Hence it is lawful to take money in payment of that use, else no craftsman would be allowed to make profit by his art. Reply to Objection 3. The judge and witnesses are common to either party, since the judge is bound to pronounce a just verdict, and the witness to give true evidence. Now justice and truth do not incline to one side rather than to the other, and consequently judges receive out of the public funds a fixed pay for their labor, and witnesses receive their expenses not as payment for giving evidence, but as a fee for their labor, either from both parties or from the party by whom they are adduced, because no man serveth as a soldier at any time at his own charge, according to 1 Corinthians 9.7.
On the other hand, an advocate defends one party only, and so he may lawfully accept fee from the party he assists. End of question 71. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.